Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. I'm Anthony Buzzard, inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel of the Kingdom of God. We've been pointing out in this series of programs dedicated to Jesus' favorite topic, His Gospel Message of the Kingdom. We've been pointing out that Jesus was a Jew who must be understood and read and intelligently absorbed in his Jewish context. It's no good trying to read our own Western 20th century ideas into the teaching of Jesus all the time. In fact, we must beware of decisions of church councils made long after the time the Bible was written. These ideas from church fathers and church councils can easily obscure the simple truths of the Bible. It's a plain fact of the history of Christianity that alien Greek philosophical ideas came to dominate the church in the centuries after the death of Jesus and the apostles. As one British spokesman said, when the Greek and Roman mind came to dominate the church in post-biblical times, there occurred a disaster in doctrine and practice from which we have never recovered. One of our purposes in these programs is to alert you to the fact that Christianity did not survive the ravages of alien ideas imposing themselves upon the purity of the original faith of Jesus. Do you remember that the half-brother of Jesus urged his audiences to recover the faith once and for all delivered to the saints? But you see, most of us have received the faith as passed through the ringer of Greek philosophical notions, and it emerged from that ringer in a different form, in a twisted form. It has been perverted by alien ideas impinging on it, interfering with it, intruding into it. And our job then as Bible students must be to throw away these later accretions, these later additions to the faith, and to go back to the pure words of Jesus and the apostles themselves, as recorded in canonical scripture, what we know as the Hebrew Bible, 77% of the Bible, that Old Testament, plus, of course, the New Testament books, which complete the canon of Scripture for us. It's a plain fact of church history that the influence of Platonism, Platonic philosophy, can be recognized in many of the church doctrines. You see, Plato believed in the immortality of the soul, Plato taught that a man has a divine spark of immortality in him by nature, and that that part of him, that immortal soul, cannot die, but simply survives death and goes on living consciously in a state of disembodiment. Now, that's exactly what you'll find preached in many churches today. But that idea doesn't come from the Bible at all. In the Bible, when a man dies, the whole man dies, and the whole man must be resurrected from death. Remember how Jesus dealt with the death of Lazarus. He said, Lazarus is sleeping, and I'm going to wake him out of the sleep of death. He didn't say Lazarus has gone to heaven, or that his immortal soul has now departed to be with God. On the contrary, Lazarus was in the tomb. Jesus called Lazarus, the whole man, out of the tomb. It wasn't that Lazarus had come back from heaven, or that his soul had departed to be with God. Not at all. Lazarus, according to the words of Jesus, was simply sleeping, and the whole man, Lazarus, body and soul together, must be resurrected. 
And it's exactly that miracle that Jesus achieved. Now, in the same way, we are going to die and remain in the state of death. There is such a thing as a dead Christian. The dead in Christ are going to rise from death, Paul taught in 1 Thessalonians 4. You see, when a Christian dies, he doesn't depart to go to heaven or hell. May I point out to you that a thorough study of the Bible will reveal to you that there's no hell going on under the ground at the present time. There are no torturing flames tormenting the disembodied souls of the wicked, even as we speak today. Hell, in fact, is a place of destruction to be revealed only at the second coming of Jesus. No one has been judged yet. Judgment is a feature of the arrival of Jesus in the future, and therefore there's also no heaven in which disembodied souls are praising God or looking down on this earth and watching their relatives still alive in the flesh. Heaven and hell are not the destinies of disembodied souls at death. Heaven in the Bible is nowhere the destination of the dying, so said a leading Cambridge biblical scholar within the last few years. And such quotations can be multiplied. Heaven is conspicuous by its absence from the biblical accounts of what happens to us in the future, so says a leading Bible dictionary. Why then do people preach always that the dead have gone to heaven or hell? Such is merely a traditional addition to the text of Scripture. You see, we all want to believe often what we think would be nice to believe, what would comfort us, what would give us pleasure. We believe things because we want them to be true, but seldom do we take the time to analyze the Scriptures as good Bereans and to see if what we're hearing is really true. Is it true, in fact, that man is a bipartite being consisting of an immortal soul which goes marching on after his body has died? Or is that simply a piece of philosophical baggage added to the Christian church in post-biblical times? We suggest it's the latter, and we'd like to send you a free booklet entitled What Happens When We Die. This will enable you to work your way through this whole question of the nature of man. And it's most illuminating to find out that man and animals are both in the Bible called living souls. You see, the word soul does not mean an immortal soul. That idea comes from the world of pagan Greek philosophy. Let me read to you a few sentences from a standard textbook on the history of Christianity. The text says this, The influence of Platonism can also be recognized in the Christian doctrine of the immortality of the soul. Original Christianity related the hope of immortality to the personal return of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. But, so this text says, as Christianity expanded, it added to itself philosophical arguments. Later, Augustine took over many of the arguments by which Plato had supported his belief in the immortality of the soul. You see, Plato was not a Christian. Jesus probably had never heard of Plato nor read him. And it's quite unfair, therefore, to mix Platonic philosophical ideas with the teaching of Jesus. Such is a disastrous brew and mixture of incompatible elements. Paul warned his converts in Colossians 3, verse 8, that they were to beware of philosophy and the tradition of men. 
The biblical tradition is quite clear that the dead are dead. They're dead indeed until the resurrection. There's only one way out of death, and that's by a resurrection, not by the survival of the disembodied soul. Now, little known to many who sit in churches, that Greek way of thinking about the nature of man, that he consists of a disembodied soul which can survive death, that Greek way of thinking lives on, hidden within Christianity, and lurking, so to speak, as an intruder in that system. Some feel that it was the genius of Christianity to mix together into a new organic unity elements drawn from Platonic metaphysics, that's to say Platonic philosophy, and from Eastern mysticism, and to meld them into one united whole called Christianity. We think that that's a dangerous thing, to mix Oriental mysticism and Greek philosophy with the pure teachings of Jesus, the Hebrew thought world of the Messiah. We invite you to consider the opinion that it's unwise to mix Greek philosophy and Eastern mysticism with Christianity. We ought rather to seek the pure words of Jesus, beware of tradition, Jesus said, beware of philosophy, Paul said. It would seem to be our wisdom that we'd want to return to the faith once delivered to the saints, that pure thinking of Jesus, that Holy Spirit, that holy intelligence, which is the mind of Christ given us, that's to say those who repent of their sins and are baptized, given us progressively through the Spirit which inspired the Scriptures, through the living Holy Spirit of Jesus. Jesus now at the right hand of the Father has promised to dispense His Spirit, His mind to those who seek Him. And those who seek Him will be seeking first the kingdom of God, as Jesus recommended. And they'll be trying to avoid the alien intrusions and interferences of Greek philosophy, which has made the Bible a difficult book for us to read. It is simply common sense to recognize that if we want to have the spirit and the mind of Jesus, we must relate to his teachings, we must hear his words as they were spoken in that first century Palestinian context. And his words are summarized in that phrase, gospel of the kingdom. It's simply an announcement that the kingdoms of this world are under alert for the coming of the great kingdom of God. We are warned now that God is going to intervene to put an end to the chaos of our present world systems. Satan is going to be banished. Evil practices which are now rampant in every society are going to come to an end. There will be no adultery and no divorce, no drug taking, no child abuse. There will be one worldwide religion in the day when the kingdom of God comes to prevail across the earth. There will be one way to Jesus who is the unique way, truth, and life, the only way by which access to God may be gained. False religions, indeed false miracle-working religions, that's to say those religions that claim to have supernatural power, which is either false or comes from a demonic influence, will not be allowed to prevail on the earth in that future kingdom. At present, because of the massive ignorance of people in regard to the truth of the Bible, many are taken in by false claims. Many are impressed by shows and entertainment, spectacular events which claim to have the power of Jesus behind them, but are nothing more than entertainment, or at worst mesmerism, a kind of hypnotic influence which causes people to suspend their rational thinking, to fall about, to bark like dogs, or to cluck like chickens. 
All of that has nothing to do with the teaching of Jesus and does not reflect the faith as once delivered to the saints. May I finish today by pointing to another area of Christian thought which has been drastically affected by pagan philosophy. Let's consider the very first and cardinal tenets of the Jewish faith on which Jesus was reared. In Mark chapter 12, verses 28 and following, Jesus was asked, What is the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus began by reciting the famous quotation of Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. Now, Jesus, as a good Jew and, of course, a Christian, the prototype Christian, the model Christian, affirmed that creed of Israel. The creed of Israel is the central and cardinal tenet of all religion. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. I note and I emphasize the fact that Jesus described God as one single Lord, not several lords, not two or three lords, but one Lord. And Jesus, you see, was simply confirming what had been revealed to the Israelite people. And the great central revelation of that faith was that God is a single individual, one Lord. Please request from us an article entitled, Who in the Bible is the One True God? Join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.